This episode is brought to you by Bray Wealth Insights. As an entrepreneur, there are many things to know. Bray Wealth Insights is in the business of helping business owners gain clarity. Many owners do not understand the importance of the relationship between their business, their personal estate plan, and their workforce. Bray Wealth Insights helps entrepreneurs to build business continuation plans, recruit, retain, and reward key employees. And with cutting edge surveys and tools, they help owners to understand what their workforce values. For more information, you can contact Bray Wealth Insights at info at braywi.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-R-A-E-W-I.com. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business and lots of insights into some really cool beverages. We're here stories and talk business and chat about tasting notes. I'm Greg Sobosinski. On the show today, we have Gail Warner of Bridge Street Chocolates. Gail, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Greg? Good, good, good. I'm doing well. Um, let's start off with what's on your mind, Gail? <laughs> Very general. So you can throw it out there. What's on your so mind? We're sitting here in the back of a chocolate shop with a bottle of port and meeting you for the first time, a fellow Eastern University grad. Yes, alum, yes. And I'm wondering, what are all the questions you have for me? Yeah. And it's it's a time where the world seems smaller than ever. You know yeah, what I mean? Really just is. for our connections, just from, um, you know, the, the world of uh, how cozy it feels back here. So it's, it's really cool. Um, so let's kind of open this up by, I want to get some of your your history, you know, you've had this whole path of that's brought you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, rewind back, you know, 20, 30, 40, however long you want to go back. You got to keep going. And, uh, (laughs) older and older. And, uh, you know, this whole business, how you're, you're in the business world now. And so where did that spark start for you? Was that start a long time ago? Was that a more recent thing? Maybe just speak to that a little bit. Okay. Um, I love chocolate, right? So my mom, every time as a family, we would travel. My dad was um, worked for the Medical Society of New Jersey and the AMA. So we would travel all different places to conferences. So mom made sure whatever city we were in, whatever town we were in, we were going to go find a chocolate shop. <laughs> so we found some of the best chocolate shops all over the country. Hmm. So that was just something that was a part of us. We appreciated chocolate. And um, I grew up in an area, Titusville, New Jersey. Okay. So it is north of Trenton, west of Princeton, uh, right near New Hope in Lambertville. Yes, yes. Great area, great childhood. And um, I just thought, you know what? I should open a chocolate shop. I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and I thought, I'm going to open one in Lambertville. I'm going to open it on Bridge Street. It's going to be perfect. Little, I knew nothing about chocolate other than I liked it. I knew nothing about business. So I think... Um, you know, there was some sensibility that came in that just said, you know, maybe not now, Gail. So I just, it was going to be on Bridge Street. And I just kind of tabled that. And I said, you know what, you need to grow up. You need to get a job. You need to know what it's like to work. You need to earn money. So that's what I did. And I traveled through many facets of um, healthcare, Mm -hmm. um, managed orthopedic and sports medicine practices, or did marketing for a hospital system, or for a med mouth insurance company. And then I started at a private company um, and headed up a department there and learned a lot about business, you know, um, traveled all over the place. I did really well. I did better professionally and financially than I ever thought I could. I was just average kid, average student. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a lot and I got myself in a position where I thought I'm enjoying this, but there's got to be more. There has to be more. Side note, when I was 18, I lost my father. He was 48 years old. He had a massive coronary. So at the time that I left my job, I was 47 and a half. And I think there was an internal clock there that said, Mm. what if you were gone in six months? What if you left in a year? What have you accomplished, Gail? Right. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this a go. I forgot about the passion for chocolate. I forgot about my own dream. And I said, you know what? If I bomb out, I'll go get a job somewhere and I'll start over. You got to take some risks in life. So a good friend of mine, we found Phoenixville. I moved from Doylestown to Phoenixville. 
because I was tired of doing a one hour drive to every corporate job I ever had. Mm -hmm. And we found Phoenixville and right then it wasn't the Phoenixville that it is today, but the community is the same amazing Phoenixville that it was back then. So we didn't have these luxury apartments or anything like that going on. So I parked on Bridge Street, ironic, right? Bridge mm -hmm. Street. And I counted cars for 15 minutes going one direction, going the next direction. And I thought, I haven't even run an ad yet. What if I hang my sign? The number of cars that I counted going either direction during rush hour in the morning at night were enough to get my name out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was what convinced me. I did my homework, looked at all the competitors in the area. And I said, I want to be in a town. I don't want to be in a strip mall. Mm -hmm. Although it's easier for parking reasons. I wanted to be a part of the community, which was Bridge Street and Lambertville. Mm -hmm. But here we are serendipitous Bridge Street and Phoenixville. That's kind of a wild coincidence. It is right. It's almost like, did, did you seek it out that way or no? No, no I didn't. Huh. But if you look for a community town, a river town, which it kind of is, kind of isn't. Yeah. Um, you're going to find a bridge street. Yeah. And the main drag usually is main street in a town, but this is bridge street. So yeah. it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned was about in, in your path coming here, that age 47 and a half, when things became very real for you. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people, maybe business owners, uh, especially, um, they kind of feel pulled to, to, to do things. And it's like, it's not, they're not only, they're almost not completely conscious of why mm -hmm. they feel drawn to do it, but they feel like this is that something more that I, I must be doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm really glad that you had that transition in your head because I think there's so many ideas that people leave on the table and don't ever try to, you know, make tangible. And it kind of, you know, I kind of think about it sometimes. I'm like, how many other ideas could there possibly be out there that people would want to make a reality that they haven't done? You know what I mean? Like a podcast. Like a podcast, you know? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, you know, maybe just speak to that and like some of that, that struggle maybe internally where maybe, well, maybe it wasn't a struggle at all, but um, that point where even maybe early in your career, that that need to like be financially fine versus, you know, what is that something more that I'm trying to get out here? And sometimes maybe they're one and the same, maybe they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but um, for those where they are opposite ends of the spectrum, maybe show us how you weighted, weighted those waters or maybe it was that not yet conversation you had with yourself. Yeah. Um, right. The not yet conversation was at least I had a little bit of wisdom in my twenties to say, don't do it. Don't do it yet. Right, right. You don't know enough. And so I walked the walk and I saw a lot of different professionals and some that I wanted to emulate and some I didn't want to um, towards the end of my last corporate job which was amazing in terms of the training that I got and the people I worked with, I started to see a sense of, I would do that differently. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have handled this HR situation that way. I think I would have done it this way. I think working with people is the most important thing you can do. Whether you are running a financial institution or a restaurant or a healthcare facility, or a chocolate shop. The most important thing to me in life is how you relate to people. When somebody walks into the shop, and this is what I've said to my team, and this was my philosophy when I opened my shop, and I'll tie this back to how mm -hmm. I got here. I thought, you know, what would be a great place to open? It would be a place where somebody can just feel happy. You come into the chocolate shop, um, automatically you're going to smell it. And it's going to be so amazing. You don't even have to buy anything. And you're feeling like this is, this mm -hmm. is better than meditation and prayer. It's just so good. And it just shifts your mood sometimes. But so it can make a positive difference in somebody's life. But from the minute that somebody walks through the door, I don't care whether they're dressed to the nines or they look like maybe they had a hard night and didn't have a place to lay their head. Um, whether they look like they have a ton of money or not. What I want when we opened the doors almost 13 years ago was we have a connection with you. How are you today? What can we do for you today? We look them in the eye and we just engage with them. Did you have lunch? Did you have dinner? Are you enjoying the town? And it's about that. It's not about selling the product. Although if you don't sell it, you're out of business, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, you want to have an experience for people that when they walk into your shop and that's what right. it's about. So my corporate life 
I had great experiences, but I felt like the most successful part of anything is how you engage with your client. It doesn't matter what you're going to give them, what the price is. If you're not going to engage with them, they don't trust you. If they don't feel like you're a person of integrity, then what are you doing? Why are you in it? Mm -hmm. You've got to uh, establish relationships, whatever you're selling that matter, that are long lasting. And I'm so blessed that I've had my past clients come to Phoenixville because they couldn't believe I left the industry I was in to open a chocolate shop. And they all came and they bought chocolate and they were happy and they stayed in touch with me. That's because of the relationships we established years before. Mm. So that was important to me. Yeah, it's an interesting concept because I think oftentimes in business, at least maybe there's a, a social stigma for this is that you know this idea of like greed or whatever the case is regarding big business. And maybe there's hints of that at a certain degree. There's also this other perception on the business world, which is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast to shine some light on certain aspects of business. And like you're saying, they're very relational. They're innately relational. I mean, you can't have business without customers and they can't buy things without you. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so tying it back to the people, I had a conversation with uh, my wife the other day. We were talking about um, if ever, if something's ever not going like right in your life or feels a little bit off and you, and you always just turn back to the relationships and spending more time with those who you love, those around you and even those in your community, inevitably you kind of get back on track pretty quick. You know what I mean? I do. And uh, that's why, and even from what I've done, it seems like there's, you know, so much um, emphasis in business on making it, growing it, scaling it continuously. But it's like, to, to what end? It's like, why am I here? Why am yes. I doing this? Um, and so I think there's, a, there's a, a delicate balance there of, oh, I can have a successful business, but I can also be this really good staple in my community. Does that, does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah. I had, um, you know, everybody's like, start a business and then sell it. Right. You got to sell it. I was going to like, this is it. This yeah, is it. This you know? is it. It's time to sell it. And I was going to move to Arizona and my folks moved out there. And I thought that would be, that would be awesome. And a good friend of mine who has opened many businesses and has been very successful. He's, he looked at me, he said, Gail, why? He said, why don't you reap the benefits of your business as you grow it and create a community, people within your business that need a job, that want to work with you, that want to run it. And then you have the freedom to go to Arizona whenever you want, or, you know, right. go to like you yeah. went your honeymoon to Jamaica or take some time off and go, why build it and let somebody else reap the benefits? Why don't you build it and keep it and let it stay within the community? And that's really the life of what you've created. Right. You know, do it for yourself. Do it for the community. I think it's also this this sense of it's like this assumption that the reason that I'm doing it is to be financially successful, which isn't the case. It's and, not. And, and so it's like, well, it's like well, I'm selling it, but the thing I enjoy most about it is is the being in it. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. It's, it's a really weird. And honestly, there, there are cases where okay, maybe it makes sense to sell. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, yes. we we work in that space sometimes, and, and uh, but it's it's a really interesting um dynamic just to really try to get the point across that there's struggle there, but that's part of the fun, some of the enjoyment in what business is. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it, it, you, you don't think about it. I don't know how many people think about that in terms of small businesses, but there are many times you don't take a paycheck. You mm. don't pay a pay, take a paycheck. And there's other times where things are a lot easier, but it's that's the challenge of running a business and making your employees a priority. Mm -hmm. and And it just works. Yeah. It just works. Yeah. Chocolate's an interesting business. I don't know much about the chocolate world. So maybe you can, you know, enlighten us further on that. Um, but talk about your, you know, you have people who walk in here who just want a piece. Some people are probably more consistent uh, clientele. Um, what is, is there any demographic for chocolate? We had a, an ice cream shop on earlier. It was interesting. It was like, well, the demographics kind of everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I almost feel like it's somewhat similar, but maybe you can confirm or, or deny if that's, if that's true. Yeah. It's um, it's largely women, mm. but the men are very passionate about what they want and how they want their chocolate. <laughs> you know, they're like, it's like a good bourbon or a good cigar. Give me a good right. dark chocolate, you know, with whether it's got some spice or yeah. it's earthy or it's, you yeah. know, whatever it is. So I like that's, the earthy. That's, that's kind Yeah, of, right? Yeah. It's a lot of the guys. That's what they are. Peanut butter cups. You guys are ridiculous about peanut yeah, butter cups. Yeah, that's true. 
but ours are really good. So it makes sense. Um, <laughs> and then women, of course, are buying for themselves, but they're also the gifters. Mm. So not only are they coming in for themselves, but they're getting it for this person or that person, or they have to think ahead of who are they gifting for the holidays. And so it's a good balance. And, and the thing that I love, I love when a family comes in and the kids are so excited, that whole statement, kids in a candy store. We're not a candy store. We're a chocolate shop. Yes, that was, I, I saw that distinction. I do my research. and Very important. Mm. Very, very different. And I love when a parent will just let the child pick, not necessarily the biggest piece of chocolate in the shop, <laughs> right. but if they pick a dark piece of chocolate, they don't go, you won't like that. Mm. There are parents that'll just whatever you want. And they, they develop their palate and appreciation for chocolate. If we don't, don't steer them away from what, you know, we always think kids like white or milk or whatever. I've seen them that come in and they just love a nice piece, dark, dark chocolate. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so chocolate is a very sensory experience. Yeah. Um, and it kind of touches on part of this podcast is the beverage side of things. Um, and beverages are also extremely sensory food in general is a sensory experience. Um, so maybe just talk about in general, what are some of the best ways to enjoy chocolate? Is it either whether the way it's eaten, time to eaten mm. pairings, things like that, that, yeah. uh, you've learned over your tenure in doing this. Mm. It's interesting. Um, because there are some people I'll just start off by saying people will throw a piece of chocolate in the freezer and I'm like horrified. I'm like, what? <laughs> You know, oh, I love it in the fridge. And I'm like, for you. you know? <laughs> but inside you're like, oh, yeah, like, no, you lose your flavor. You well, lose the I, scent. You I, lose, oh, you lose How do you feel that. when you go to like a Wawa and you see those chocolate bars inside the fridge? You see that? Yeah. Well, no, I haven't seen them in the fridge. Are they in the fridge? I've seen at some Wawa's like a little, like um, a little case inside oh, and yeah. they feel like I'm like frozen, I guess, but. Yeah, they do like them frozen, you know? So for yeah. me, so I will never shame anybody. But if you want to have a sensory experience, mm. you need to have it room temperature. You want to just breathe it in. You want to, you know, because you're going to get, you're going to get notes just through smelling it and you're going to touch it. You're going to snap it. You know, you can't do that with a truffle. When you bite into it, it might snap and mm. pop a piece of chocolate. You, it's tempered. So it's crisp. It's shiny. It's, and then it just slowly melts in your mouth, mm. you know, and then you, it, you, you can get a different flavor from the first taste to by the time it melts or you finish eating it on the back of your tongue, it's very different. Just like a glass of wine, right? Mm -hmm. You may not get the tannins at first, you'll get them later or mm -hmm. um, notes of fruit or, you know, and it's very, wine and chocolate are very similar. If you do a pairing, very, very similar. I always suggest you start with a sip of wine, then experience with your nose, your, the feel, the snap, the taste of the chocolate, and then follow it with some wine. What was there a, maybe rewinding back to you know, when you and your family were touring chocolate stores all over the country, um, was there any particular moments that are like very vivid in your head of like a particular chocolate that you were like, wow, from a sensory experience, you're like, well, that really stood out amongst all of them I've tried. Were there any like that? We, we all love New England because I started in college. I went to Endicott up in Beverly, Mass. Mm. And my sister went to BU and we just, we love New England. So we found uh, Harbor Sweets, mm. which is in Salem. And so they had a whole nautical theme of chocolates. And now they've done an equestrian theme. But they had a sweet sloop, which was a triangle, which was a toffee, like a nut toffee. The top of it was dipped in white chocolate. The base of it was dipped in dark chocolate with nuts. So it looked like a little sailboat. Mm. So the beauty and the artistry of that mm. was amazing. And then the bite and the crisp, oh, it was just amazing. So that would that would be it. I could tell you other chocolate shops now, but that was the first. So when I worked at my last job, I would always order those chocolates to give to my colleagues for Christmas time. Mm. So yeah, good question. Yeah, I like that. I like the, even for me, there, there are some things that- um, for whatever reason, you, you, you're randomly eating something and it just takes you back mm -hmm. to years and years prior. Um, maybe let's, let's go here for a second. Cause I, I, I like this conversation of, you know, the making of chocolate and the craft portion of that. I've always been a proponent of, um, even for me, there's a brewing beer is one type of work and then working in the financial world is a different type of work, both good but just very different. And on the craft side of things, one thing that I 
always loved about it was how how um how tangible it was. Whether that's there's a certain tangibility to the work you've done. At the end of the day, you're you're sitting there and it's like you can you can see the yield of of what you've created. And there's something really fulfilling about that that you might not get in a corporate setting. You may, you may not. It probably depends on the person. But uh, for me, there was definitely a a difference in what it felt like at the end of the day. Um, how would you describe your relationship to your work and then the sense of fulfillment that this gives you versus maybe some of the prior um, work that you've done? So I'm going to start with the prior work first and then I'll move forward sure. to the shop. The prior work is the travel that I had, you know, experiencing cities and corporations and different companies and what they did um, and developing those relationships. And in the end, making really good money. I mean, that was the reward for working really hard mm -hmm. was the money. And that was the outcome of this is why I do it. I have a nice house. I have a nice car. I can go places. I'm financially secure. That was my reward there. There wasn't much. And of course, my colleagues. Mm -hmm. This is very different, right? So the artistry of it is creating something that people appreciate. So it may be, um, you know, that bourbon bark that like the guys, when they come in, give me something earthy with some chili oil, bourbon, caramel, pecan. And it's just like, oh, just to see their expression mm -hmm. or to see they keep coming back, they come back. But the other part to it is, which I never would have expected when I first came here, was the dietary issues. So how do you take something that's pure artisan, but mm. adjusting it and adapting it so that there are more people in your community that can enjoy it than you didn't than you thought about originally? Sure. So we do vegan, dairy-free, most chocolate's gluten-free, but if you double dip, you know, in different products, it can cause an issue for people with celiacs. Sure. You know, um, I don't know if I've lost my way in this part, but. Yeah, I guess any other, you know, the fulfillment side of really seeing maybe that 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 first sensory experience in somebody else, mm -hmm. what's that like? It's amazing. Yeah. It's, um, we're their chocolate shop in Phoenixville. Like how blessed are we? <laughs> we were the ones to open up a chocolate shop. I know there's a candy store here decades ago, mm -hmm. but that we were able to open a chocolate shop and we're their go-to. Um, here's something too. Um, when we went through, you know, everybody to get through COVID and to survive is just really a blessing. We got through it, but it changed things for us a lot because we became even more engaged with the Phoenixville farmer's market mm. and people didn't want to come into the shop. They, you know, we delivered, we did different things like that, but they came to the market and our sales increased incredibly so because now that almost became a storefront for people who didn't want to come to the shop. And they, so they started, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And that's when we started really growing our partnerships, which became more re rewarding as an artisan. Mm. So some of the partnerships that we met at like Birch Run Hill Farms, they sell our chocolates there and we use their cheese for different pairings and tastings. Um, we, we partner with Bluebird Distilling with some of our chocolates. We Five Saints, which is in Norristown, some of the local orchards, Kimberton Whole Foods. Um, we work with passionate about microgreens, mm, you know, nice. so we're, yeah, you get a serving of vegetables and every chocolate <laughs> bar, you know? and seven stars dairy. We partner with them for our caramels and they are mm. amazing and they're tender. So the partnerships helped us expand our, our artisan work, which made it more fulfilling, mm. right? So I could just make a chocolate and people love it. But when you're connected with all these other local artisans, it makes it so much more rewarding, even singing dog vanilla. Yeah. I yeah. never, what is that? Yeah. So it's a vanilla. It's a company right in Phoenixville. Really? Yeah. They have Madagascar. They do organic vanillas or regular vanillas. I know he was like, oh, Gail, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm going, I'm going to bring some back, you know, some more fabulous vanilla. Wow. So Phoenixville has so much to offer and we're grateful to be a part of it and to have those partnerships for tastings, for pairings, all different things. When, when you think about, you know, direction, directionally wise for this business, like, okay, we're, we're in a good spot right now, but you know, there's always those times where you have to pivot one way or another. If you try new products, new SKUs, whatever, just to 
keep people interested or to, um, you know, give people a sense for something they might not know they like, you know, try experiment a little bit. So what does that look like from a business perspective? How do you guys um, do the experimentation side of things? Um, is it a constant evolution? Do you have like, you know, time in the lab, so to speak, mm -hmm. to, um, you know, experiment with different things? Or is there every time you woke up with like an idea that just really burned, like I have to go in and, and make this today? Yeah, I think as we have grown, we've been able to expand our product offering because when you first start, you just have to go with the basics. And we brought in some other stuff from other companies just to be able to survive because you couldn't make it all. And now as we've, we have a production manager, a pastry chef, we have multiple people that make chocolates. Um, we can begin to explore more. Mm -hmm. Like we just rolled out a tart raspberry jelly, wow. which is rocking. It's so good. Um, we um, having, again, the partnership with the Phoenixville Farmers Market Ben and Michaela, who grow their microgreens organic, approached us and said, why don't we work together? I'm like, tell me what you do. <laughs> tell me what you do and how we can do this together. Mm -hmm. And we just started, we have this incredible organic product now that's this beautiful organic dark chocolate, organic microgreens. Uh, we learned how to use it, not to put it in the chocolate when it's too hot. It has to be just right. We do these microgreen bars now that mm. are a phenomenal. And we're going to do a sunflower nut butter, organic microgreen cup. Wow. Then we're going to start. So that's a whole other market that we go to and maybe we can expand what we do at Kimberton Whole Foods or you know our, our other wholesale partnerships, which are important. You want people to be selling your chocolate when your doors are closed. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's just an example. Yeah, it's really interesting how new avenues kind of pop up, other ones close down, new mm -hmm. trends emerge. You kind of have to, it's a, it's a, it's just part of the the joy of business. You know, it's not it's not a stagnant thing. It would also be, it wouldn't be as fun if it was the same thing every single day. I get bored very easily. I yeah. would normally change jobs every six years. So I've been at this for 12 and a half, almost 13 years now. That's a good sign. So yeah, it's a good sign. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been thir 13 years now. You've been open at this. December 15th will be 13 years. Wow. Um, and you were across the street prior, like you mentioned before. Yes, where Sweet Brew uh, is now. Yeah. So talk about the the process of scaling. So you're at a point where you know, the production need more room for production capabilities. Um, in your mind as a business owner, how do you how do you think about that? So if someone listening is like, hey, I'm thinking about doing something, but I want to know when that point is that I should start scaling. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Maybe that what you went through there. That's a good question. We started really, really small. We had, we were less than 500 square feet. Mm. Super small. Most of it was probably mm, maybe two thirds of it was storage and packaging and chocolate and work area. And the other third was the retail. Okay. Um, so you could spin around and touch everybody and touch every case at our old location. It was quaint and it was wonderful and I loved it. And I'm grateful that we stayed there as long as we did because we opened during a recession. We survived COVID. You know, if we had a huge rent, I, I don't know what would have happened to us. I mean, mm -hmm. we had a lot of support from the community, but the tipping point for us was um, Jess, um, who's with us now, she's my first full-time employee and she's a talented soul. And I'm like, I can't bring her on to grow the business and have her work in a two by four. I just can't do it. And we realized that our productivity, we would work on a project and we'd have a bigger project come in that needed to be done sooner. We had to shut that whole initial project down, clear off the counter to start the next one. Right. So we weren't, we weren't being productive. We were being counterproductive. So we realized right. if we're being counterproductive, how are we ever going to grow? And at Christmas time, we always had to rent another space because we'd have so much more business. We could never kick it out of that location. Right. So that was the tipping point. The point was when you are no longer being productive, you're being counterproductive and you're having nervous breakdowns along the way, <laughs> it's time to really consider taking a financial risk and going to the next level. Right. And when we talked to our new landlord, he's like, yeah, I need to see your financials before I'm going to let you sign this lease because I don't think you can make that much money to pay this lease with chocolate. And I said, well, Dan, <laughs> let's talk. And so here we are, you yeah. know, two years later, here we are. Yeah. I think, I think 
I don't know. It's it's a hard question to answer. Maybe it depends on the business, but um, there, it seems like there was almost always some element of risk in there as far always. as that, that transition. Always. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you would ideally want to you know eliminate as much as you can, but um, you know when you're moving to a space that's you know twice as big or three times, four or five, six times as large, there's always some type of risk or thing that could go wrong. Um, but yeah, it also seems to there's a some some sage knowledge in what you just said is you also don't want to jump too soon. So kind of build out and completely fill the space you're at. Yeah. You're going to max it till it's busting at its seams. Yeah. You just have to do that because if you don't, you're going to let the fear, you're going to make a foolish mistake and you're going to be in a place that's much too big for you mm. um, until you're ready. So um I, yeah, I think that was it. I didn't have much fear. I mean, I guess after going through a recession and all of us surviving COVID, right. that is the fear, right? No more fear here. And we took the risk. And I think to be able to say, and this may sound very unbelievable, but I think, so you go out of business. That's devastating. It's my income. It's my team. It's my community. But think about what is the fear from taking the leap? What, what are you afraid of? Right. You want to grow your business. That's why you started it so many years yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, one thing I've always said, I think I've said it a few times on this, on this podcast is, you know, the worst thing is an entrepreneur takes a risk and then does it just go back to their other job? You know what I mean? It's really not yeah. that bad when myself included at sometimes you, you feel that you're going to die or something <laughs> you if, you, if you fail and it's like, I'm going to die. And, and I, honestly, it's probably a bit of like a, um, you know, you, you've, you're an entrepreneur because you have pride in your work. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it's, it's part of you that maybe that's dying, yeah. you know, a little bit, maybe a little piece of your pride that's dying. Not, not sure. you. Oh, ego yeah. pride. Yes. Right. But mm, can't let but, that. But yeah, less. I mean, I think keeping, keeping that, um, being mindful of the fact that it's a pretty easy route back to find even for a few months. Okay. Now we're back again and we'll try again. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. It, and it, I'm not saying I wouldn't be devastated, Sure, but I know I'd live. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's jump into this. This is uh, the beverage you've selected for today. Um, we have a, a port wine here. Is that right? Yes. Um, so maybe walk us through this, maybe as you would do a chocolate, if you would. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a lot of libations that I love, but it's a Monday, so let's select something that would be easy access and is really absolutely delicious. So this is the one, it's a Felino Estate actually, and Vintner's Table, which is here in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Um, so we like to stick with our, our local peeps. Um, I love a port, a nice dark port. It was one of the things where a lot of people would, I'll have a scotch after dinner, or I'll have a bourbon, or I'll have a B&B. &B. And I'm like, yeah, no. And I, this is just deep, it's rich. Um, um, like fig and berry notes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's one of those things that you're not drinking it like a water. You're just taking a sip and you're just swirling it around in your mouth and just, just savor it and see what you get from that. Mm. You know? I think, I think port wine in general kind of, uh, it's on the back burner a lot. You know, people don't really you don't hear about it at all. It's not, it's only a lot of restaurants don't really have it. Not anymore. Yeah. I don't know why. But it seems like it's something that would, a lot of people would like. Even, I, even if you were like not a big drinker, I mean, yes, I can see where point. people would really like it. It's, yeah. It has a lot of like, this, this one has a lot of like chocolatey notes, mm -hmm. like a little bit dark fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's really enjoyable. And, uh, Again, our conversation earlier about like dark, dark beers and sour beers where people kind of gravitate towards those if they're not really a, a big beer person. Right. This is kind of in that, in that vein. And I, a I, nice piece of chocolate with this oh, a dark yeah. piece of chocolate. And it doesn't, this is the other thing that a lot of my customers I talk to about is like, oh, I don't like dark chocolate. I said, you can't make that statement yeah. because dark chocolate is my arm is left to the left over here is as far away as, as far as the East is from the West. Right. right. That's kind of dark chocolate, it can be very mild and not bitter to extremely bitter and dark. And so you can pick any type of dark chocolate with a port and it's going to be delicious. Well, that, that's a struggle that um, the beer community has run into for years, especially, well, less so now, but more prior was, you know, it kind of 
from a marketing perspective, beer for the average person was macro, Anheuser-Busch, that kind of, that, that was beer. Mm-hmm. And there was no delineation between styles or um, origins of beer or what was the ingredients used to make those beers or the perception of maybe there's something else that I might like here. And so I think beer kind of gets the, has one of the largest breaths as far as taste from a sensory perspective, but it also, it's, it's been prescribed one of the smallest like shelf spaces, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? That's interesting. Like I, I, maybe not real shelf space, but in people's minds, like the shelf space of what they think of beer is a very narrow category. Yeah. When in reality, I think it's much, much wider. Yes. I would agree with you. And that back to your question, it, it just aligns itself with chocolate. Mm. One of the things that I totally missed as a new business owner was you have your own blend. Like Asher's has their own blend and Lore's in Philadelphia has their own chocolate blend. And, and I didn't know that. I just picked the chocolate that I thought that was going to pair perfectly with this flavor profile. Mm. So we have a blend, but we have single origin. So for that bourbon bark, I use a single origin dark chocolate that's 70% and it's very, it's dark and it's earthy. Yet you have another one um, that may have like a milk chocolate that's actually not super sweet and it has notes of caramel. Or you can have another one that has notes of hazelnut. So the way you're talking about beer and, you know, sours, and there's a whole list in between of the flavor profiles of those. Chocolate works the same exact way. Mm. A chocolate is not a chocolate is not a chocolate. Yeah. I I like pulling on those strings. Like even, even when brewing beers, like I've, I've done in the past, it's, I always want to show people like something they didn't know that they might like. And I'm sure that's the same way people come in. They've asked about like, oh, I don't like stouts or porters or whatever. And they're like, well, have you try this? Mm-hmm. And inevitably they'll like one of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so at least in my mind, that's part of the mission here too, is to kind of share the wealth as far as knowledge of what the true breadth of chocolate is. And chocolate might even be even narrower than beer. In that yeah. It's like people think of it as one singular thing sometimes when it's, you know, much, much wider. Yes. Um, so let's uh, pivot to you as a, as a business owner and maybe some of the, the struggles and hardships that you might have encountered and some of the successes as well. But as a business owner, you, you innately have many, many different hats to wear. So you are an employer, you are a, um, a chocolatier, um, you, know, you are a business owner in the sense of running the administration side of the business. Um, do anything stick out in your mind as far as, um, you know, things that you've run into where, oh, looking back, this is something that's really important that I learned wearing, wearing any one of those hats, whether it's, you know, just having employees, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, for a single entrepreneur have an employee might be a a big step for them. Um, so anything in, in those different hat wearings that, um, that stuck out to you. That I learned just in general or that was... Yeah, yeah. Like a particular thing that maybe um, I didn't know how to handle this, but now looking back, this is how I would handle that, Been having been through that. Good question. You know, it's being a business owner, you have your own niche. You know what you like to do. Mm. But as a business owner, you don't just get to do what you like to do. Mm. You have to do all the other things. You are the the IT person, even though you have no clue about IT, yeah. right? Your sanitation, you're paying the bills. Um, you're, you're the brand branding person. You're the marketing person. You're the wholesale promoter. You're the head of HR. Um, I think the biggest lesson is doesn't matter what you love to do. You have to do it all. Mm-hmm. You have to do it all. And there are times when early on, when you're the, you're the number one and you're doing it all, you just sometimes long to sit back and just kind of pay the bills or do the social media. Um, but then in the end, I realized it's the best part are, is my team and relationship with the customers. Hmm. That's, that's the most rewarding to me, but you still have to do it all. Um, I think having a, finally getting a bookkeeper, I should have done that from day one, but you don't always have the money. Yeah. You know, just to give, sorry, just to give you guidance. Yeah. 
on things that might seem basic or as things get busy to have them take care of things that, oh my God, I forgot to do that. I forgot to send that out. Yeah, we, we've heard that a couple of times. Um, um, you know, CPA attorney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, attorney right, too. Yeah. Make sure your attorney is looking at your lease. You know, look, kick it through or any contract you sign, you have to have a really good attorney. Yeah. That's a good point. I missed that one. Um, it's also, you mentioned, you know, having all these responsibilities, you don't just get to pick the ones that you want to do. Again, you, you probably have some leeway as far as delegation of, you know, people, maybe I'll delegate something that they might enjoy better than I do and they do a better job. So I'll give it to them. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it is work. You know what I mean? So it's not going to be a hundred percent of the time, this blissful experience. And I think sometimes people can get, um, I don't know, I guess misguided in that they think it's going to be just a singular pleasurable experience all the way through. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I think that's a big, um, something that's not well communicated to people starting businesses sometimes. Oh, it's going to be great. And yes, it is going to be great. But like most things that are worth doing, it's going to have hard pieces and there's also going to be struggle and hardship. And by the end of the day, that's part of the reason why it's rewarding. Yeah. 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 It's very true. I think, um, um, I just lost my train of thought here. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, the, the, it's being in a position where you are in control of your own destiny, being able to pull some of those strings. Yeah. You don't have to do everything. You give employees who are, who are helping in that regard, but I, I don't know. I, I think it helps people to, um, a really, a real sense of autonomy, being able to craft their life in, in, in a certain direction and not feel like they're being pulled through. Yeah. I think, so back to the previous thing you said about somebody who, you know, you have a passion for craft beer and you have a passion for chocolate and you think opening a business is the right thing to do. Mm. It's not always right because there's a lot more that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So some, and that's what works out great for people on Etsy. Or people right. that just want to do an online business because right. then they don't deal with the real estate. They don't have to deal with as much in terms of staffing. They don't have to deal with the the hours. When you're in a town, you don't necessarily get to pick your hours. You need to serve the community and do those hours. So yeah, if somebody's thinking about, do I want to go into business? You've got to kick the tires on every part of yeah. being a small business owner. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where some people they have something they really like that doesn't necessarily mean it's a business to go into it might be hey this is just a really good hobby i want to spend more time doing it but not in this capacity where i have all this other responsibility to, to tack on yeah um, that's a good point um so in in your in your startup process you obviously have i want to get tangible for a second so there's equipment and things that require you know capital to do things um how does that snowball work? You kind of start in one direction, you buy some equipment, maybe you outgrow that equipment, you sell that, put a portion of that towards new equipment. Um, any insights into, into that side of, of the business? Well, when we started, well, I, I took some coursework at the Chocolate Academy in mm. Chicago, which was headed up by uh, Calibo, which is a beautiful, beautiful chocolate company. Um, and I paid attention to what equipment they had and what equipment I will now have for probably 20 years. <laughs> so <laughs> impressive. So what, and I had those conversations, what do I need to get started? And fortunately I had put enough money away to just start with some of the basics. I still have every piece of equipment that I started with. I have not sold it. I have not, wow. no, it's the same equipment. So maybe we replaced a motor or we, you know, we had to just upgrade it a little bit, but I have all the same equipment. Mm. And we, maybe we added another piece. The thing I love about this industry, at least in the Philadelphia area, uh, I'm a member of the Philadelphia Retail Confectioners Association, and there's all different chocolate companies. We're all friends. We know each other. I know, you know, Kelly from, you know, Candy from Kelly's Candy and what they do best and all the different um, chocolate shops around. And so if they were looking to sell a piece of equipment mm. that they were no longer using, they'd say, Gail, 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 Gail. 
you need this piece of equipment. I'll sell it to you for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It was built in 1985. It's not computerized, but it's a workhorse. You just need to have a mechanic in your life that can fix anything. Yeah. So that's what I would do. So every piece of equipment I bought outright, I didn't take a loan for any of these things, but we hand up everything, right? We're not we don't have big and rovers. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been able to keep it small, but talking with my bookkeeper the other day, she's like, yeah, we got to get you an enrover because you sit and you say, okay, I have so-and-so dipping a hundred caramels and it takes this many hours to do it. If we turn this over into an enrover, you would have the same amount of caramels enrobed in 20 minutes. It's that, it's that same problem, but before, you know yeah. what I mean? Of having to pack up the project to bring out a new project. Yeah. We need more space. We exactly. need, so I guess, yeah. So I think a lot of these things almost come to like a natural head. It's like, when does that line up? Yeah. When, when is that point? And it seems to be pretty, I guess, self-evident in some cases. And I guess you can kind of feel that too. You know, this person's working all these hours. We took the, the money that we're, we're using to pay them mm -hmm. and to put that in this equipment, they could be doing something else. That's exactly it. So it's not trying, we're not talking AI and trying to get rid of <laughs> right. people to have little right. robots around here. It's not. It's that I can use this talented soul somewhere else by bringing in this piece of equipment. So it's not about putting people out of business or putting them out right. of a job. It's about keeping them and moving them into a different position. hundred um, percent. And I think that, you know, it, it's a interesting conversation. A lot of people I've talked to, they don't know exactly when that jump point off is. And again, it's different for different industries. I'm, tr I'm trying to, in my own head, try to break it down to like a, a set of rules. So if people ask, Hey, when's this time? Generally here's my, where that is, but, um, I don't know. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things and one of the biggest struggles for businesses is knowing those breakpoints of the time is now, the time is now, the time is now to, to dial things up or ratchet things back. Um, it's interesting too, what you said about the, the equipment from other people, again, community is kind of being pulled in here and the relationships of not just customer wise or who I'm, who's the end product consumer, but others in the industry who are, and I think people, that's a big misnomer as well is that, oh, who's the competition? And yes, yeah. to a degree, but if you kind of pull back the curtain, a lot of times it's kind of like, well, they're all sharing equipment. They're all, you know what I mean? Yeah, we, I mean, there's people that don't want to have anything to do with community. Sure. Period. Yeah. But most of us are like, oh my God, Gail, you know, I just, I got this contract. I got the, I can't do all this. Can you help me with this? Or yeah. do you have this? Do you have this kind of packaging? And I'll come and pick it up. And then they return the favor. It's, we're all in this together. Yeah. 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 Um. So you've been in 13 years. What else do you have in store? Again, I think this is one of those things where we don't really know where the future might lead. Sometimes opportunities or certain trends pop up and that'll kind of inform how we go about this. Um, but for you, what is the um, vision, if you will, for a few years down the line yeah. of either improvements or things you want to add or whatever from, from the business? So two different directions I'll go with this. One is growing our wholesale business. Mm. So we're with Kimberton Whole Foods now. We're in Collegeville and we're in Kimberton. I want to be in all Kimberton Whole Foods. So mm. I want to make sure that, you know, I expand that. We're at the Phoenixville Hospital gift shop. We're at Mainline Health in King of Prussia, where I want that to continue to go. You know, like I said, Birch Runville, Birch, excuse me, Birch Runville, um, farm and we've got the florists that we're in. Um, that's important to keep that going. That's where I said earlier that you want other people to be selling your product when you're not, or maybe simultaneously, that's important. In doing so, that means we have to stop looking like a mom and pop chocolate shop. I've got to upgrade my packaging. Mm -hmm. I think we need to kind of a, to work things over a little bit to have the packaging just look a little classier and get more with some of these higher end gourmet supermarkets or artisan markets, that would be really, really important. Mm. Um, the other thing, which really piggybacks on my desire to continue to connect with the community is start doing tastings and pairings. Mm. And we're going to start doing a tasting series. Um, I was hoping to have done it this summer, but I think we may end up starting it in September. 
where we pick an intimate group, whoever signs up first on the website, which if people sign up through the newsletter, trust me, I don't send a lot of newsletters. So if they sign up, as soon as I know I'm going to do it, we're going to put it on the website first and they'll get first dibs. But to have like a nice evening, a couple hours of cheeses and crackers and some wonderful libations or wine and chocolates and just have this experience, this sensory experience um, and just have those moments. And um, that's where I want to go with it. In addition to partnering with other people who have catering facilities where we can do a full-blown pairing with them. Um, so um, that's really where I want to go. That's where I think we're going to shift for the second quarter of 2023 and then 2023 to 2024 is just really kind of not rebranding to change our logo but just getting some t-shirts getting some hats and getting mm. some um, new packaging getting the word out there when somebody walks into the shop that lives in phoenixville and didn't know we existed i like <laughs> takes my breath away what am i not doing what do I need to do more of so that people know we're here? There's people in New York know we're here. People in Hawaii know we're here. People in Alaska know we're here, but people in Phoenixville don't know. What am I doing wrong? What can I do? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's correct. I think that's a good direction. Um, I think it's it's worked really well in the beverage industry. People enjoy, I think we're in almost like a you want to call it like an experience economy. People are much less, at least for some of the younger generation, they're less like, oh, I need all of these things. I'd rather take those dollars and plug them into going somewhere or yeah. trying something new. Yeah. And I think what you're describing here really plugs into that idea of, I want to experience life to the fullest. And this is one of the ways I'm going to do it is by trying and learning about chocolate. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense. You described... Um, this dynamic of going more towards um, or growing the wholesale side of the business. Mm -hmm. Do you ever come across a situation where, again, I don't, I don't know the full business model of, I'm guessing you do some type of, Hey, someone comes in, Hey, I need this for a party and is a, a, a custom order, so to speak. All the time. Um, how does, how does that work? So if you have, say you have a lot of the, all these custom orders, you have all this wholesale business. Um, how do you balance What's the, what's the correct balance there? Because it seems like in one in one instance, you don't want to be all wholesale maybe because then you kind of lose some of that community. But then if you're all custom orders, you're kind of not growing the brand maybe on a larger scale and not quite, um, maybe they're just from a monetary, maybe there's smaller monetary value in some of those smaller deals. So what's the balance there in your mind? Maybe there's, there's no perfect way to, describe it, but, um, when I think about it, I don't think I have the percentages down to how that would roll for really healthy bridge street chocolates. Yeah. Um, I think, um, that when we first started out, if the retail business covered our rent and our bills for this location, that was a good thing. Mm. As it grows, it starts covering more right? Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. So if the walk-in business can pay our bills, we've got a good thing going on. Yeah. If wholesale now can help us buy that piece of machinery that we've been waiting for, right. that's gold. Yeah. Right. So we've been really blessed with the community and what we've been able to do, but the community is also the group. Like just the other day, Somebody came from Molly McGuire's and said, hey, Molly McGuire said that you make custom blah, 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 blah. And we want that for our business. So corporate business is huge for us. Mm. Huge from like, you know, October through January. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's overwhelming. It can bring you to your knees. <laughs> but that's the stuff that pushes you through because the, those are the revenue. The last Q4 and Q1 of the following year are what help you get through the summer because we're we're lonely chocolatiers in August. What would you describe? Yeah, you describe it as, as chocolatier. I've heard the term before. Um, is that just as, as simple as it, as it seems, or is there more to it? <laughs> it depends <laughs> who you ask. Yeah. Right. So I'm a Jersey girl originally who yeah. became a chocolatier, and I've lived in Pennsylvania longer than I ever lived in Jersey <laughs> at this point. But I, when I took my coursework with Barry Calvo, you know, in Chicago, I said, well, 
how do I become a chocolatier? What do I need to do? I thought there was this whole <laughs> academic thing I had to go right. through. And they like, a, look, like, a, like a sommelier yeah, or something like that. Yeah, right. It's just so classy, yeah. right? They're like, you just need to learn to make chocolate. Then you're a chocolatier. I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. But you can also, you know, you go to another place and there are master chocolatiers that have studied in Europe and they're mm. amazing and they do well. I am not a master chocolatier, but I am a chocolatier. And when we were talking about libations and stuff early on, well, what do you want to get? What can you, I can't drink a lot. I have a lot of sensitivities to different food, sensitivities to spirits, libations. So I approach chocolate the same way is that I may not be a master chocolatier, but I want the best ingredients. Mm. I want the best products. And, and so I may not have the label of a master chocolatier, but I'm a chocolatier that I care about what goes in you. Mm. I want it to be an amazing experience and I only want good stuff to go on your body. What what is that for you as far as your ideal chocolate? Like if you were crafting a piece of chocolate for yourself for your palate. Again, this could be like, you know, with how it is with some alcohol, like a, like a, a mood thing. It you is know, a mood. You thing. know what I mean? But like yeah. like generally, if it's like like right now, what 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 would you gravitate towards? Okay. So it is a mood thing and so I'm a woman, so that's what we do. Yeah, We've yeah. certain things at different times, but um if there had to be a piece that I had most regularly. I love our hazelnut caps and I was never a hazelnut fan, hmm. but it's an organic chocolate. It's an organic hazelnut. And it's just the crunch, the flavor, the notes of the chocolate. Phenomenal. I love it. When I'm maybe buzzing around and I just need something <laughs> decadent, I love a caramel pecan. I love yeah. a turtle with pecan and caramel and chocolate. That's very traditional chocolate. And that's like a comfort food, right? right? Yeah. Or our sea salt drops are, that would oh, be wow. perfect. That's perfect with a wine, with a port. It's a mild dish. I can't believe I don't have a bit on the table for you, Greg. Right? Now. We'll, we'll grab some afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mild dish of dark chocolate with a little salt from Hawaii. Amazingly good. How many, how many different types of products do you have here? Like how many like total units? Can or you believe I don't even have that count? No, it's, it's, you're, 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 crazy. you're in the craft. You know what I mean? It's like, are. um, if you, had to, if you had to estimate. So you could have truffle as a category. Mm. That's one. But we can have, you know, 15 style truffles. Sure. Let, right? Let's do let's do categorically, maybe. All right. We've got truffles, pretzels. I should be not doing this out loud, right? We've got all <laughs> assortment of creams. Our caramels are phenomenal. We've got about five or six styles of caramels. Hmm. Um you know, I also bring in gourmet ice cream sandwiches. We don't make those, but we bring those in. And I've got barks. So I've got six kind of barks. What's the definition of a bark? It's a good question about definition, but I'll tell you my definition of a bark. It is generally a slab of chocolate. It could be milk, dark, white, could be a blend. It could be a single origin. And then it has ingredients. So we have a blueberry bark. Mm. Real. Our single, that and the almond bark are the two most popular ones. The blueberry one sounds like a good yeah. wine, wine pairing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. The bourbon bark is great with a scotch mm. or a whiskey. Um, yeah. And then we have a wasabi bark. That's kind of cultish, but people love it. It's a mm. wasabi peas with almonds dusted with wasabi and a buttery vanilla white chocolate. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many options. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of that, it's like that age long problem of, um, and part of the reason why it's fun is there's so many possibilities and you kind of get to, you know, corral the ideas, if you will, into something that's tangible, but I don't know. There's something that's really inspiring or inspiring and also overwhelming of the possibilities that are out there for what could become, what could be, what could, yeah. be, what could happen here. You know what I mean? Cause you're always, you have anybody come in. Have you tried this? Have you made this? Why don't you make this? Why don't you make that? And it's even in new, new employees. It, Jess and I laugh all the time. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Cause we can't do everything, yeah. but we're always willing to try. The sure. customer says we try, we'll, we'll try it. For yeah. Sure. I like that. Um, so you describe chocolate as a necessary luxury. Yes. Um, talk about that for a second. <laughs> Chocolate's luxurious. I mean, it is, if you're having a glass of wine, you're having some port and you could have a piece of chocolate with it. That's just luxurious, isn't it? It's yeah. not like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's a, like, right. So right. that's a necessity in a sense, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. you got to right. sustain yourself, but this is a luxury. That's like, I have to have my chocolate like after dinner, like every woman 
has a secret hiding place for her chocolate, especially <laughs> Bridge Street chocolates. The places where they keep them, I can't even tell you because they always find, they're like, Gail, I have a small corner in the back of my freezer or I go into my bedroom, in my closet, behind my shoe boxes is where, I, because their family always finds them out. Yeah. So that's, that's the necessary part of the luxury. Mm. They have to have it. Yet when you sit down and you have it, even if you pull it out of a shoebox, you know, it is just this luxurious experience. So it's like almost like of the luxuries they have, it would be the last one to go. Yes, yeah. right? And yeah. fortunately, people may decker because it's easier to go to Costco or BJ's and buy a big box of chocolate, but mm -hmm. it's really affordable. You can come in here and get a piece of chocolate for a dollar or $2. And, you know, it's just, you, you can't deny people chocolate. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. We shouldn't. No, no. <laughs> and it brings you joy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. It is kind of an unbelievable thing when you try something and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's right? so good. You know it's what I mean? It's just a moment. Yeah. It's just a moment in your day. Yeah. But it's a simple pleasure. Yeah. I like that. Um, so we have a section here of the podcast called the quick question round. Oh. So I'm going to run through like five quick questions. They're kind of just general things, but um, just let me know your thoughts on them. They're pretty just um, questions about business, questions about um, you know, just general, your philosophy on things. Um, but let's just run through this real quick. Right. Um, what's, what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? It could be anything it could be in the world of chocolate it could be some new type of innovation, or it could just be anything at large. Not innovation. It was a gentleman that I met at hmm. the, at veg fest. And there was a guy had, had all these signs up all over the place. Uh, and it was about not procreating. It's about don't bring children into this world. Don't. And I was just my, I got all fired up. I'm like, but the children are our future and we need to make a difference. But this man, these crystal blue eyes and the love that he had to engage with this gentleman was just so much grace mm -hmm. and so much care. And it touched me deeply. And he inspired me to be better at how I see things in the world. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. I think people get fired up sometimes about things and it's sometimes when you're fired up, you, you don't come across the best. You know what I mean? You don't, you get indignant and you're yeah. angry and you're like, we're like, keep yourself in check, Gail. Mm. You know, just see the love that this man had for this man, even though he wasn't supportive of his position. Mm. And he said, he's a good man. He's a good man. Mm. Yeah. What are some tools that are really great for your business that you use all the time that you couldn't live without? It could be like a software tool or like a, a physical tool, um, any of the above. I couldn't live without. This is a, a fast round, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> round. I always just want to say my team. My That's people. perfect. That's perfect. I, I yeah. Can't, I can't. I couldn't do it without them. Yeah. I mean, even if all our equipment broke down, they still pull it together. They make it happen. I couldn't yeah. do it without them. Yeah. People are much more supportive than machines. Sometimes. They, oh, they are. <laughs> they can be equally challenging. <laughs> and I'm one of them. So I get it. Um, what are the most transformational changes you are seeking to make over the next 90 days? That could be for you, know, you personally or just for, for your business. Believing in the potential of this business mm. and the team, that's the engine of it. Just don't doubt them. Just believe in them. Set your intention of where you're going and believe that anything is possible. Yeah. I think you need some of that. Sometimes people try to be like very much by the numbers and like, yeah, you know, that's important to a degree, but I think it, in tough times, especially where those people might jump ship because the numbers don't support it. It's like, you can still have that stick to itiveness to, to push through that. You can do it. Um, what advice would you give to any entrepreneur who, or someone who is looking to start a business as far as some of the most, um, important pieces when first starting out talk to other business owners hmm. all shapes and sizes talk to all of them talk to um um people who are hugely successful talk to people who failed in business and i shouldn't say failed. people that went another direction because it wasn't right for them and find out why mm -hmm. um i think talking to people who have put their foot in the pool hmm. um is incredibly helpful do your homework yeah. And don't be afraid to ask a question because you think it's stupid. They'll, if they don't want to answer it, they won't. Yeah. 
Um, what, what's been one of the biggest points of leverage for you, whether that's, um, you know, a breakthrough that you had in some way or another that really allowed you to, to grow in, in a new way, perhaps. Say that again. So um, a point, a point of leverage. So something, whether it's like a, a, a certain product type or getting into a certain, certain market that really allowed you to expand or gave your business new, new life, so to speak. I think I haven't realized that yet, mm. but I have it in my brain and I know which product it is and where we need to go with it. Oh, good. So I think that's going to take us to the next level. Um, the leverage is having a, an amazing product that we get feedback about daily. So when you have that, just don't dismiss it and just like, oh, that's nice. No, no, no. We're onto something here mm. and this can take us to the next level. Yeah. I think that's something people dismiss sometimes is um, you know, there's products that people can put out and like lots of people can make them. There's lots of people who make chocolate, lots of people make port or whatever, but it's, um, really having a, a quality product. And like you said, starting with the best of the best ingredients, mm -hmm. um, made to the nth degree. And so no, I'm excited for you, whatever, whatever that is, yeah. that's in the, it's in the vault right <laughs> it's now. In the vault. I, I'm, I'm excited it's to see what, what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other part to that is being willing to let go of something that you thought was going to be everything. Right. And it's not. Yeah. Let that go. It's part of that, that pride piece again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and besides this wonderful port we're having here, uh, what else is your favorite beverage? Bluebird makes this Hemingway old fashioned that is so delicious and <laughs> just wonderful. It just brings the, I know you're not supposed to say alcohol brings you happiness. You know, Gail, you have a problem. I'm just, <laughs> I can sit down and have a Hemingway old fashioned from Bluebird. I'm a happy camper. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I'm very much there with you. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Gail. I really, really appreciate it. I'm just, what a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so let the people know out there listening, if there's anything else that, any final thoughts or want to plug anything, um, the next you know few minutes are yours. Thank you. We're in Phoenixville at 175 Bridge Street. Our website is Bridge Street Chocolates. If you want to um, you know, have a wonderful experience, a tasting experience, sign up on our website and we'll let you know when we do the tastings versus the pairings. Um, we just appreciate everybody that has a passion for chocolate. We're here to serve you. And Greg, I am incredibly grateful for this opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gail. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms. And you'll get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us um, or have a business that may be a good fit for the show, feel free to reach out. Our email address is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And our Instagram is at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Subasinski. And as always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time.